This is Salt City Hoops on ESPN 700. We'll have two hours of advanced analysis, the X's and O's, headlines around the NBA, and breakdown of your Utah Jazz on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome into... Welcome into the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. My bad on the bad opening. It's been a while since I've done this. Uh, I'm Andy Larson, the Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. J.P. Chunga is over there disappointed at me. He is my co-host today for the Salt City Hoop Show. We'll get Ben Anderson back next week. But, J.P., I'm so sorry. I had a list of four other shows that I wanted to go on. Now it's expanded to 20 minutes. <laughs> uh, you are the Anthony Davis of, of Sports Talk Radio. Yes. It's, that's incredible. Uh, finally, people are learning my voice after my, a couple of years of silence. My question is, why not the New Orleans Pelicans of, of talk shows, which is which is this one? <laughs> this is undoubtedly the Pelicans of, of talk shows, 100%. <laughs> uh, other talk shows that I could be on are the uh, Ascended and Great um, New York Knicks of Stations Past. I would love to be on 1320K Fan right now. That place is thriving. Mm. Oh. There are plenty of places to go. Yeah. Uh, always go for the, the closed, shuttered franchises if, if you're looking for success. Uh, <laughs> we're here to talk about the Utah Jazz and the NBA. Um, this is actually our last Thursday show, believe it or not. We're going to be moving to Tuesdays starting next week, so look forward to that. One, we get to be on the radio more often. We, you know, we, We're getting bumped, and, and rightfully so, for Utah basketball, both men's and women's. And so we, we hope by moving to Tuesday we get a few more shows in. Um, and, and so I, I'm looking forward to kind of coming to you guys more often as the stretch run, uh, NBA stretch run goes down to the wire a little bit. As always, this is a very social show. We want to interact with you guys, our listeners, our audience. So if you could, please tweet us questions or text us questions or call in with questions. You can tweet me at Andy B. Larson. You can tweet JP Chunga at JP underscore Chunga. Uh, that was confusing, but JP underscore Chunga is your handle. You can also text us on the Mercedes-Benz of Farmington text line. That's 877-353-0700. Or you can call that same number, again, 877-353-0700 if you guys want to chime in with your opinions in a audio manner. But for now, let's talk about the NBA. Let's talk about basketball. Let's talk about the Utah Jazz. Got 25 games left in this regular season. I just came back from All-Star break. Uh, I have no good stories from you for All-Star break. I'm, I'm so sorry, JP. I know you wanted me to be hitting up the clubs on a on a Friday and Saturday night at All-Star, hanging yeah. out with the, you know, I don't know, Meek Mill and whatever else. J. Cole was there. J. Cole was there. J. Cole tried to dunk and yeah. uh, honestly... Did you see J. Cole's dunk? That was the best part of the entire dunk contest. <laughs> that was. It was not it was not a it was not a tremendous dunk contest. Uh the Hamadou Diallo dunk over Shaq was good. But beyond Did you use Shaq as a stepping as a stool. Stepping stool to He put his hand on his back. Which makes it all the more remarkable that Dennis Smith Jr. couldn't dunk over Dwayne Wade. Uh <laughs> yes. regardless, uh Yes, J. Cole was there. I did not meet J. Cole. I did witness Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, get accosted by Guy Fieri asking for a picture uh, with his son, presumably. And so that was that was a glorious moment in, in All-Star history. These are the things that I wanted to hear. The stories <laughs> with Guy Fieri. Yeah. 
What did he say approaching Giannis? I, I, I only witnessed this from a distance. I was not in, in overhearing distance. But I'm sure it was like, hey, Giannis, can I get a picture? And Giannis was, thought this man was a normal man, was, was just a oh. weird blonde spike tip person. Do you yeah. think Giannis knows who Guy Fieri is? That's true. He didn't grow up here, so he has no idea. He what... didn't know what smoothies were five years yeah. ago. Like, I, I don't yeah. know that he knows who Guy Fieri is. But anyway, we've got a caller. His name is Bean, it sounds like. Dean, that makes way more sense. That's an actual name. Dean, how are you? Hey, good guys. How you doing? Good. Great. What do you want to What do you want to chat about? Hey, I just want to say appreciate the show. Everything I hear, um, you know, I got a new job now, so I listen to Bill O'Reilly and the boys kind of in the afternoon there. So appreciate you guys taking the time to kind of develop and give us some explanation there. So one thing I want to ask real quick for you guys is, I mean, as far as the jazz are concerned and the new really how the NBA works. And as far as free agency and everything is concerned, I mean, what is the next move that a jazz can take free agency drafting or the case may be to get to not necessarily the warriors level, but at least getting us to that next tier, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, that totally uh, makes sense. Guys. And, and, and thank you for the question. Thank you for the call. You know, I, I think, Clearly, the goal is to get better while the Warriors also get worse. You know, there's the sense that Kevin Durant is leaving to go to the New York Knicks this offseason. They can't keep Boogie Cousins with the way the salary works, they, you know, unless he is willing to take another $5 million a year deal. Uh, and the way he's playing, he probably won't be. So, um, really, it is about the Jazz then taking that next step in order to become one of the best or second best teams in, in the Western Conference. And, and that comes with acquiring more talent. So, uh, it, you know, the next opportunity to do that is this offseason and you could do that either by making a trade or uh, signing someone in free agency right so uh, free agency it probably the most uh, optimistic realistic pick you know you're not going to sign a Kevin Durant Kevin Durant's not coming to the Utah Jazz ditto with you know a Kyrie Irving Kemba Walker you may be able to make that sell um you know, it's from a basketball fit, you you do have the max contracts, uh, max space in order to give Kimber Walker that deal. But it would kind of have to be a perfect scenario where, you know, it's from from what I hear, Kemba wants to go to L.A. Um, and if not, you know, maybe to New York. And it would kind of have to take Kyrie moving to New York, L.A. getting, say, a Kevin Durant or, you know, a, a Clay Thompson. Basically, all of their salary cap space taken by somebody else. And then, you know, then he's kind of looking at the quote-unquote second-tier teams to find a new free agent spot. And then you can say, okay, the Jazz would make some sense there versus a you know, Dallas Mavericks team, for example. Um, that's best-case scenario. Probably mm-hmm. not going to happen. When I look at this question uh, phrased by Dean, the caller, you have to consider how far off are the Jazz from that, that next level of play and and. How much do they need to get to that next level of play? As we've seen, they do through the first half. They clearly do uh, <laughs> with what we've seen, and it, and the signs were there last year with how close yeah. the standings ended up finishing from two through eight. Everything was stacked up. You knew it was going to be more more of an effort to get into that uh, top tier this year with what was happening, and. The attempt to get Mike Conley at the trade deadline, which didn't come to fruition, I think that's another avenue that you have to chase down and go towards when it comes to looking at the offseason when you can trade for Mike Conley then. I'd agree with that. And and then you can kind of trade into that space. And, and, uh, you know, I think there will be more teams interested because you do have 
I don't know. We'll see if there are more teams interested. There will be more teams with the kind of cap space to uh, be able to take him in uh, if they do want to upgrade a point guard in that way. Um, Goran Dragic is another point guard you could you could improve with. And then you kind of look at it, okay, you also probably need uh, an improvement at the power forward spot. And so you can go out, uh, you know, again, Chris Middleton is kind of like best case scenario. Yeah. But he currently plays for the best team in the league and probably wants to stay there. Uh, Tobias Harris was just traded, traded for from by the Philadelphia 76ers. And again, you would probably assume that he stays there, although that's not a sure thing given how uh, up and down that locker room is from a chemistry-wise. So, uh, I, you know, I, I think you you kind of then have to go down the list and say, okay, Nico Miritich, for example, there's a clear history of, of he said that he respects Quinn Snyder's coaching and respects the way that the Jazz play the game. And there's, uh, you know, similar interest going the other way where the Jazz have tried to acquire Nico Miritich before. And now he'll be a free agent and they can do so for free. And that to me seems like the logical free agent move. Um, now, it, you know, I don't know if that happens if you also trade for Mike Conley or what, but there's a there's a way that you can kind of upgrade at point guard and upgrade at the four, and then all of a sudden you do start to talk about the Jazz as one of the best teams in the Western Conference in that top tier if, if the Warriors do drop off. What made the Jazz, in your estimation, start at least this season as using that uh, off season that they had to basically bring everybody back the and, continuity and plan, yeah, yeah, the continuity that they decide to go with. To be frank, uh, a lack of better options. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you could have waived six players in order to open up the max cap space to sign Paul George, but Paul George wasn't going to sign here. You know, Paul yeah. George is, and the Jazz would have been willing to do that, and Paul George decided not to sign here. And he decided to stay in <laughs> Oklahoma City. Uh, fine, that also disappointed the Los Angeles Lakers too. Yeah. You know. Um, so once that happened, it was kind of looking around and looking at the other free agent possibilities and say, okay, in order to open up anything more than the mid-level exception, they would have had to waive Derek Favors or waive Tabo Cephalosha or waive Epe Udo. Really, waiving Epe Udo isn't enough to make uh, salary cap space. But, you know, it was basically, do you choose to lose Derek Favors or do you choose to sign one of these guys? Um, and, and quite frankly, it kind of made sense just from a talent point of view to bring every, everybody back. And then, you know, you obviously, I, I think how the Jazz finished last season played a part in that. Is like they kind of thought that if you were able to play the way that the Jazz did in the second half of the season in the playoffs for uh, something closer to those 82 games, we're talking about rather than a 48 win team, a 55 win team. And again, looking at, again, probably the second best conference, the, the second best team in the Western Conference this year. Mm-hmm. Um, Still clearly a step short of the Warriors, but again, moving forward. And what we've kind of seen from this Jazz team this year is is maybe it was optimistic to assume that uh, that player improvement that we saw at the end of last year was going to stay throughout the whole year the next year. And that's the thing. I think a lot of, of what went into and, and the explanation that you gave, it was a lot of that second half of the season convinced uh, the decision makers to bring this team back and think that that you would see that major improvement but what as we've seen with the heat that team went on a huge run a couple of years back and decided to give a big contracts to uh, bumpy johnson <laughs> uh, apply to hassan whiteside as mm-hmm. somebody to build around and then now they have to write out those contracts at least for the foreseeable future and go until 2020 when they can attack uh, people in free agency in that respect. That's the worry that I think a lot of jazz fans are looking at uh, with 
what this team came in expecting to be challenging for that top four. And I think we've we've seen and borne out through the first half of the season, uh, over uh, the first half of the season, that this team might not be to that level of the other teams. And and, and I might disagree with that. I, I, I think they will challenge for the top four. And in fact, you look at what they are projected to do for the rest of the season because their schedule after these next five games is just shockingly easy. Uh, it, it is it, So if you look at kind of the... the places that take that into account and simulate the rest of the season. The Jazz right now, the number one projected seed that they have a chance at is number four seed with a 31% chance of happening. Number three seed has a 14% chance of happening. Uh, number five seed has a 26% chance of happening. So those are kind of your, your top three possibilities. And that's absolutely fighting for top four. Now, that is different than being in uh, the second tier. You know, I, I don't think it's it's hard to argue that the Jazz have been just as good as the Oklahoma City Thunder this season. Uh but not at all. <laughs> right. But that being said, you know, they're they're going to be finishing as that for fighting for home court in, yeah. the, in the Western Conference Finals like you said. If if that's your standard, they've achieved that standard. I suppose, but looking at how everybody else has shifted as well. When you look at where they are in the pecking order of the entire NBA as well. Yeah, that's true. Looking at the Eastern Conference where Milwaukee is just been on an entire tear. Toronto improved themselves at the trade deadline. And then you have Philly and Boston, which are the other contenders, at least in the East. And nobody's talking about the Pacers, who are right now sitting in third. Well, the Pacers don't have the best players. Yes. So I understand why people yeah. aren't talking about the Pacers. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm with you. You know, I, I think there's kind of the sense that, you know, the Jazz have somewhat disappointed this year. Um, but nevertheless, you, you're going to see them. I, I think this team is going to be a, a 48 to 50 win team again. And then again, it is like Dean said about taking the next step to being not just a 50 win team, but a 55, 60 win team and, and really actually being a, a, a contender, not just a, a, I don't want to say pretender, but okay, we'll say it, a pretender. What is the absolute ceiling with this group that they have right now? At no additions. Yeah, if it's fifty-five back. wins. Yeah, right. Like, I mean, if you put it all together, you you know you don't have very many injuries. You uh, play well. You know, you win a lot of your close games. We're, this is a fifty-five win team. Um, if Donovan Mitchell takes a leap to MVP level, then all right. Then you know you're looking at kind of the two thousand and eight. Uh, Miami Heat teams, or 2006, I should say. Miami Heat teams, like Dwayne Wade becomes mm-hmm. wins a title in his third year. That's what we're talking about. But unless that happens, then yeah, that's that's what we're talking about with, with the Jazz. And, and, and uh, you know, uh, the Jazz front office thinks they need to get better, too. Yeah, they clearly do. They were trying to trade for Mike Conley. Yeah, so like, uh, you know, I, I think that I think the, the misnomer here is that jazz fans, some jazz fans think that like Dennis Lindsay and et cetera are, are happy just kind of sitting yeah. on their hands, resting on their laurels and saying, okay, we have a pretty good team here. If you look at it from kind of an objective point of view of what their decisions were for last year and uh, last offseason, and you look at what happened in this trade deadline with all the things that they tried to get done, and then, you know, I, I think understandably so. They didn't give up four second-round picks for Nico Miritich, given that they can sign him in this offseason. I don't think they were going to be able to beat the Otto Porter offer, given that they don't have very many young players, uh, good young players beyond Donovan Mitchell. And uh, the, the Mike Conley stuff looked closest to happening, but then, you know, Memphis decided not to trade him. So, uh, and they clearly tried to sign or tried to trade for Mike Conley. So that, that wasn't kind of the, the issue there. So I, I don't know. Like, I, I think you, you look at kind of each individual step in the process. 
if you want to if you want to criticize, I think you can go to like the Grace and Allen selection or some of the stuff on the margins. But I I don't know that like the overall philosophy of this front office. I, if I would do anything different, but if you are looking at the Jazz, aren't you trying to win on the margins? Sure. Isn't, yeah, absolutely. Isn't that the exact? Just to yeah. play the devil's advocate, yeah. And Going that, after Grayson Allen and expecting him to be uh, uh, something better than what he's been showing in four years at Duke and expecting a great, huge leap for a guy yeah, that was a bad pick. like him. Uh, I don't know if but that, that was great. I, w- I would counter with that by saying that the Jazz have, have won the margins overall. You know, if you're looking for a marginal draft pick that turned yeah. into something, Rudy Gobert is yeah. like a pretty good thing. Donovan Mitchell turning Trey Lyles, Trey effing Lyles, into <laughs> Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> uh, and by the way, Tyler Lydon, who had his contract uh, cut off by a year, yeah. you know, like his, his option not picked up. That's a phenomenal margins yeah. kind of trade. And, you know, I, I think for the most part, the Jazz have been doing those kind of things right. Even like the Alec Burks in a couple seconds for Kyle Korver seems like a good deal at this point. Um, you know, so I, I think they're, they are making, for the most part, have made the right moves on the margins. And now you can say, okay, sure, if you, if you draft, you know, if you draft Devin Booker instead of Trey Lyles, you're better off. Yeah, absolutely. If you draft, oh, I don't know, Landry Shamit over. Grayson Allen, you, are you yeah. better off? Yeah, but you know you can you can always play that game. You could have drafted yeah. Clay Thompson instead of Alec Burks, but you also could have drafted. Oh, I don't know who was drafted after Donovan Mitchell. You know what I mean? Like you could yeah. have drafted Luke Kennard or Oof, Luke Kennard, like the Pistons did. That yeah. was that was a bad move. Stan Van. That's why you don't give that much power. There should never be a a coach and executive uh, in the NBA. I don't think it it should be one off. Like that you have to have different different people in the kitchen when it comes to having the coach executive because they can get infatuated with people and just want the deal done right right then yeah. and things can get a little hairy. Not that it's been uh, an entirely terrible uh, experience for every single team. Yeah. I mean, I agreed. I I don't think I I think it's been pretty bad for the teams that have tried it though. But uh, the the Timberwolves when Thibodeau came into that team, uh, they were bad. They were terrible, awful. Not even contending for the playoffs. That's true. And then he turns that thing around, and and gets them to go. Now at that cost, you still have a man that is uh, seeing a mutiny on his hands and has a team that that revolts and has a superstar that wants to get out of there and things like that. And same goes for the Pistons in the turnaround that Stan Van got them to, but you do, you don't see as many returns as, as you really need to when it comes to just just yeah. having that that one guy as the the lead dog in the in the uh organizational structure. And and not to make this a a segment on Tibbs and the T-Wolves cuz like who cares? But uh <laughs> I, I I do think that like if you look at where this that team is now and where they were 2 years ago, I'm not sure you take where they are now. And I get that they've won more games, but you're also paying Andrew Wiggins a gazillion dollars yeah. for the next forever. And you're, you know, you've got Carl Anthony Towns, but you had Carl Anthony Towns then, and and you can argue, you know, where he is in his development, kind of what you expected after his rookie season. Uh, you know, they uh, it, uh, just a, uh, uh, you know, obviously you 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 got Jimmy Butler, but you lost Jimmy Butler, and then you also lost Zach Levine, and you also lost, you know, a, a the seventh pick in the draft, which turned into be Laurie Markkinen, which would have really helped you, you know, those kind of things. Yeah. Before. So anyway. Um, we've got some questions on Twitter that I want to ask, and as always, we take lots of questions on the show, so please tweet us at Andy B. Larson, at JP Chunga. You can also text or call us at 877-353-0700. Clayson Sierla asks, best playoff matchup for the Jazz, Portland, Denver, OKC, or Houston? 
I lean towards Portland. Why is that? Because I haven't seen Portland play at a defensive <laughs> level yeah. uh, at all to the way that, that the Jazz have been able to play. We've seen Ennis Cantor um, in some minutes Ennis. today. <laughs> yeah. And it's been funny because he's done like he's been in a scanter, right? Like yeah. he's very dominating on the offensive end. It uses his size and strength to really make problems for teams on the offensive end. And then you really can just run pick and roll every single yeah. possession right at him and and score a whole lot of the time. And so that's going to be interesting. Like I don't know that Ennis Cantor is a better player than like Zach Collins right now. Um, so if if Ennis Cantor gets to play the Jazz. I, I don't think people know kind of how like ruthless Quinn Snyder is as like a, a attacking mismatches kind of team. But he did it to Carmelo. He did it to Melo so free like and so meanly. Yeah. Like it was it was very sad. Um rewatching that series. And so like I, I think if Ennis Cantor played any significant minutes, uh that would be a really good thing for the Jazz. Uh I also think that Terry Stotts is a better coach than uh than Billy Donovan is and probably would just bench Ennis Cantor if that were happening. Yeah. Um, so there's that. And obviously like Ennis Cantor is less of a part of the Blazers locker room than Mello was as a part of the Thunder locker room. And that was kind of why they justified, uh, playing Mello as much as they did. Um, beyond Portland, uh, I might say, I, I, I think I agree with you though, that Portland might be the easiest team. And that's hard because quick scoring guards, like what the Blazers have, have killed the jazz. Like, and Portland has beaten the Jazz up on a number of important games that they really kind of needed or wanted to win very badly. I'm thinking especially of Game 82 last season, um, and they you know got demolished a little bit. So that that is worrying. But I do think that overall um, they present fewer problems than Oklahoma City uh, right now or a Houston team. Denver is interesting because Denver has been so good this season, and I might rather play Denver over any of those four teams. Yeah, I think it's there's a clear separation between if you want to play OKC and Houston. You want to play Portland Denver in this in this rankings of teams that you would rather play in the in the playoffs. But I, I could really see Jokic dominating an entire series against the Jazz just because of <laughs> of how how versatile their offense can get with how just Tremendous he is passing the ball and being able to operate as a big and that's true playing against Rudy Gobert. But I, I you know, and and he played exceptionally well against Rudy in their last, last matchup at Vivint Arena. Yeah. And the Jazz came out with a win. And I think that was because they you know, what the Jazz can do because they have Rudy is they can say, Let's let's have Rudy guard Jokic, let's have him kinda hang out in the paint and, and guard the rim. And then you can stay attached on the perimeter. Uh and, and so as a result uh, Jamal Murray had a bad game. Gary Harris didn't have his best game. Will Barton was just coming back from injury, but he didn't have his best game. And and so I, I think you can, because of what Rudy Gobert allows you on the inside, you can stay attached to some of those guys on the outside. And it's not like it's a Paul George or Russell Westbrook situation where those guys, uh, hyper elite, best in the world athleticism are going to beat you. Jamal Murray probably needs to be open in order to be a, a good shooter. Um, you know, I, those guys are tremendous offensively, and I love their their system, and they're so creative. But I do think that the Jazz would have a better chance of stopping it than than what the Oklahoma City Thunder do. And then, I honestly, the biggest difference difference is defense uh, between uh, you know OKC's defense is one of the best in the yeah. league. They're so athletic, they're so good at forcing turnovers. Um, if you're not on point, then they just create a lot of havoc. Uh, Denver, Portland, and Houston's defense isn't as good. Um, 
but at least Houston's switching defense gives the Jazz a little bit of problems. I think Jazz could figure out Portland and Denver um, in the course of a seven-game series. It would be entertaining with any of these scenarios because of just just looking at the way Quinn Snyder would make adjustments against all these teams. Uh, As we saw with with Houston, that was still a very entertaining series for what it was um, showing with how how great that team was playing and without uh the addition of Trevor Ariza who who left that'll that'll and, make that interesting and I think as well. Chris Paul has dropped off really yep. significantly yep. so I um and really he was the one I think more than James Harden who killed the Jazz last year um especially you know game 6 that was yep. Chris Paul taking over and just you know you shrug your shoulders a little bit all right we got to take a break uh as always we we take your texts and calls Texas uh Texas at the Mercedes-Benz of Farmington text line, 877-353-0700. We'll review your questions over the break. You can also call us there at that number as well. But for now, uh, we're going into break on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show, ESPN 700. I'm Andy Larson, JP Chunga with me. I'm the Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. Uh, we've got some questions again into our text line right now. Um, you can always text us at 877-353-0700. It's a Mercedes-Benz of Farmington text line. You can also call us at that same number, 877-353-0700. We're also getting questions on Twitter, at Andy B. Larson, at JP underscore Chunga. This one is from Ali Kiapabanchian. Uh, will the Jazz guarantee favors final year? I think they will. Uh, I, you know, I, I think unless you are able to waive him and sign one of the elite free agents in this class, I, I think they will uh, kind of keep him. Uh, they will at least pick it up and then probably look to trade it. Now, you may have to waive him in order to sign Nico Miritich, and so maybe that's a, that's the most likely possibility in which you waive him in order to sign to sign a free agent. Um, but I, I, you can kind of go one or two ways there. You can either pick it up, trade it for Mike Conley, or a an elite kind of uh, big money point guard, or you can waive it and sign a Nico Miritich. And, and ultimately, I think whatever position they choose to upgrade, whatever is most available, is what they will end up doing with with Derek Favors' final year. And and you know he knows that too. He knows it's a business. He knows that kind of what the Jazz do with him is uh, dependent on other factors. And while he likes it in Utah, I think he also would relish the opportunity to end games and and you know be be on the court and when those few final few minutes of games really click down rather than watch as, as Jay Crowder plays over him yet again I surprised I was surprised when he came back in last off season uh I wasn't really once like the amount of money that the Jazz offered him was out there um cuz quite you know like I just didn't think that's been the problem with trading him, quite honestly, is that teams don't need a player like yeah. Derek Favors because the the replacement level for centers in this league is so high, and that's exactly what he is right now. It's it's a shame because Derek Favors is a really, really, really good player, and it's just like everyone in the league has a center that can do kind yeah. of most of what Derek Favors can do. And that's where uh, you have to look at it going forward. What can you uh, 
uh, use as, as an opportunity to get get better and, and get better uh, with uh, or without favors. I think the the options going forward has to be uh, using him as as something that can be a package for the Mike Conleys or uh, ways to upgrade around the team beyond Derek Favors. I don't think you have to be ca- strapped to him being a part of uh, the core group that you're going to have going forward. I agree. Uh, we've got another question from Casey Greer who asks, prediction time, does Donovan Mitchell become an above-average offensive efficiency player at some point during his rookie contract? Right now, you know, he certainly scores a lot of points, over 20 points a game. But is he uh, is he a average offensive efficiency player? No, he he definitely puts up a lot of shots and and you know it's not at the highest rate and and commits a few turnovers as well. And that's kind of what you'd expect from a sophomore player who's sixth in the NBA in usage. This is also incumbent on on how much Utah can improve at the other positions, making it easier <laughs> <Yes>. on Donovan <laughs> in being an an efficient player. Because if if he is on on this trajectory that he is on right now, then no, he's not going to be that efficient. But he can be. He is. He has shown it in stretches, but over an eighty-two game season, over the entirety of the regular season, that could be a troubling thing if if this team doesn't upgrade options around him. I think that is a very good point and a honestly underquoted reason why Donovan's efficiency isn't that high because you look at it I, I i think the shooting is fine except that he takes a, a bunch of pull-up shots that he you know he has to because the jazz just don't have any other offense um you look at how often teams are dedicating two three men towards him because they feel they can given that you know you don't have to defend Derek favors in the corner or ricky rubio on the perimeter uh, it, they're just not shooting threats you you just see donovan driving into traffic all the time and uh, you know, those are the shots that really the Jazz kind of need him to take at a not very efficient level, at a 0.9 kind of points per possession level. But, uh, you know, I, I think it's really, it, it's something that uh, if you see that talent upgrade, uh, you'll see him get better. And, and I think, you know, as he goes into his third and fourth season, you'll get better just from that skill development. I think the summer that he had this foot injury this year really affected his summer more than he he thought it would. Uh, and, and in fact, he's told me that. And uh, you know, he kind of thought it would be a one month, two month kind of thing, and it really impacted his ability to work not only through June but through July and August as well. And so, you know, he didn't get some of the skill development things that he wanted to get done done this off season. If he does have a healthy summer this year, that will really help his ability to kind of read defenses, work on his game, and kind of come up with some of the counters to the defenses he's faced this year. I thought it was 100% just shown brightly uh, on players only when the Jazz played the Warriors in in how much he has the burden on on this offense, even though uh, players only. I was going to call him Dennis. I'm I'm sorry. I I thought his name was Dennis or... uh, who are you talking about? Dennis Mitchell. Oh, yes. Players only, baby. Yes, Dennis, Dennis That's Mitchell. That's where I get my information. Uh, how will Nito? Nato. Nato. <laughs> Nato or Nito. Nato was something that also uh, Hubie Brown would say uh, when the Jazz were playing the Clippers in that playoff series. I remember that just because uh, I remember tweeting about it. So Plus, uh, you know. And I like Hubie Brown. Hubie's, Hubie Brown's great. Yeah. So at least Hubie commentates the games. Yes. And... <laughs> <laughs> Says the players' names incorrectly. You know, and and again, at least Hubie. How old is Hubie at this point? You're a Hubie expert. Seventy nine years old is what I'm guessing. That's your guess. Yes. Uh, Over under seventy nine is what I'm pegging at. Eighty five. <laughs> yeah. 
We'll allow it. Yes. We will not allow such nonsense from Grant Hill and Isaiah Thomas. <laughs> and Jason Terry. And Jason Terry. Jet. Uh, but yeah, I, I totally think that Donovan Mitchell will will improve. I mean, it would be dumb not to bet that he will improve, right? Yeah. Like, he's 22 years old. He's got a good coach. You guys know how hard he works, how much he watches film, what his athletic tool set is. Those guys get better. Always. Yeah. No, okay, not always. The vast majority of the time, those guys have much better 23, 24-year-old seasons than their 21, 22-year-old seasons. I, I really do think a lot of that efficiency will tick in the right direction if they improve around him uh, as a huge uh, factor for the way that, that things have may have dipped uh, this year with what's going on with him. Yeah. Uh, at Royals and Jazz asks us, because of tanking by bad teams and resting by good teams at the end of the season – isn't it better to have a tougher schedule at the end of the season? So I actually asked Jay Crowder this earlier today. Uh, and he said, you know, kind of, would you rather have a tougher schedule earlier or late? And he said, you know, it doesn't matter. He kind of gave me the cliche answer, right? Um, so I'd be curious to see what he actually thinks. And maybe it is that it doesn't matter. My theory on this is that the difference between like the mediocre teams at the beginning and the end of the season is a lot is a lot bigger than the difference between good teams at the beginning and end of the season. So like the Memphis Grizzlies, you really wanted to play the Memphis Grizzlies as much as possible at the end of the season, now. right? <laughs> Rather than at the beginning of the season yeah. when it turned out they were really difficult to play. Now, while the Jazz were punished on the Memphis Grizzlies side of the schedule, they also have a lot of games against the Phoenix Suns coming up. Mm-hmm. And they've got games against the New York Knicks coming up. They've got a four-game stretch in March on which they're playing the Washington Wizards, the Atlanta Hawks, the Chicago Bulls, and the New York Knicks. You couldn't ask for an easier four-game road swing. That uh, you know, if 4-0 oh is, is what should be expected on that trip. And that's hard to do is a 4-0 and oh road trip on the East and all that, and you've got a back-to-back and whatever else. But you're t- playing four teams that legitimately want to lose at that point. So if you play those four teams in November, that's a very different thing. And, and so that's why I think it is probably better for you overall to face the easier schedule at the end of the season rather than at the beginning of the season. Now, I'll say this. If you want all stars, if you want rec- if you want recognition from the league, if you want uh, people to be writing about you, if you want teams to be you know, pl- you know player interest in free agency or trade deadline and all that kind of stuff, you want to have the easier start earlier because that's how that happens, right? Like yeah. the what happens in October is so much more important from a a perception point of view than what happens in February, but. And as far as how many teams wins the most games at the end of the year, I'd rather have the easier schedule later. New Orleans twice? Want to have those right. games? <laughs> New Orleans twice now looks very good compared well, to having New Orleans at earlier. That point, for goodness sakes. <laughs> <laughs> we don't know. We don't know. They might move to Seattle <laughs> yeah. next week. Things are going terrible. March 4th and 6th as they go home against the Pelicans and away against the Pelicans. Uh, that's when you want to be playing them. Yeah, playing this. This easy playing the Clippers now. twice at yeah. the end of the year, love it. Those are games that you want to you want to be yeah. playing the Clippers now that they don't have Tobias Harris than than you know where they were at the beginning of the season. That being said, they do need to play well when it comes to those 
uh, upper level games because you sound like you sound like Jay, you sound like Quinn Snyder. Yes, of course they have to play well. <laughs> they do. They need to pl- play well against these teams because I we make so so much of a deal about the schedule in the first half of the season and and how struggling that they they were throughout it. But that's the separation. That's where you get these tiers yeah. of teams right. in this league is the teams that can beat the good squads are vaulting up the standings and get the more confidence that you have when it comes to those playoff matchups uh, in March and in, in, in April. Yeah, it's funny. You, you talk to like... I don't know, again, kind of casual Jazz fans about this, and they're like, hey, why do the Jazz play to the level of their opponents so often? And I'm like, actually, they're one of the teams that does that the least. You know, they have one of the best records against below 500 kind of teams. It's really about uh, how their ability to play against the the top-level teams that has worried me this season, and I think, you know, there are good reasons for that. It's it's really hard to win when you play six really good teams in nine days, and, and four of those games are on the road, and you're playing in a gazillion different cities, and blah, 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 blah. But, you know, th- that's the concern is is can the Jazz play those good teams and win moving forward? Now, I think what they've shown in the playoffs the last two seasons is that maybe some of what we see that of that in the regular season uh, is less impactful in the playoffs because Quinn Snyder is so good at kind of creating a, a game plan for a seven-game series that they can actually beat some of those teams that you're worried about. You know, the Jazz went 1-3 and three against the Clippers two years ago. The Jazz went 1-3 and three against the Oklahoma City Thunder last year and still ended up winning those series. I think, you know, that, that gives you a little bit of optimism as a Jazz fan. Draymond, after the first meeting with the Jazz, was commenting about how, how far off Rudy Gobert uh, was dropping uh, from him because they didn't respect uh, Draymond's shot, as you shouldn't. But yeah. he joked about how some teams really do care about the regular season a lot and, and showing that contrast of, of what things uh, can be doing. Yeah. And then in the second matchup, Draymond's not shooting as much and the Warriors have a lot more success. Huh, how about that? Uh, <laughs> yeah. I know, yeah. Oh, is there a correlation there? I wonder. Yeah, that, that seems to make a lot of sense. Uh, we got to take a break. Kirkman, we're going to get to your question here after the break. That's coming up next on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700. Andy Larson, JP Chunga with you. Enjoying a fine Thursday evening here in Salt Lake City. Uh, beautiful Broadway studios looking out on on the window talking about friends and family uh as always we answer your questions on the show at Andy B Larson at JP underscore Chunga you can also call or text us at 877-353-0700 uh I want to give a quick shout out on the radio to Tony Jones oh happy Uh, birthday it is his birthday Uh, I won't say how old he is. I will say it is very different than what he says he is. Uh, that that information is is publicly available. So you if somebody you so- guessed twenty nine, and he said at a decade, right? That's um another lie. <laughs> <laughs> but you know, more power to him for for keeping things up. 
uh, with that. <laughs> he is uh, sticking to his story a little bit here. Good for him. Whatever it is, he is he is now officially old enough that I think we can conclude he's not going to make it to the league. <laughs> it's uh, it's a little bit past his time. He had his tryout with the Stars. He did. And uh, they didn't pick him up. They did not. (laughs) So, Uh, If you haven't read that, by the way, read Tony Jones' story about that experience of of trying out for The Athletic. Uh, Because he does show some humility there of uh, some of the things that Walt Perrin, jazz director of scouting, (laughs) told him. uh, Things that Dennis Lindsay at the the workout also told him. uh, You know, he, he would not... He was not on the Jazz's radar. Let's let's put it that way. After some um, lack of conditioning efforts, uh, he missed a wide open layup. You know those kind of things that are just you know aren't going to get it done. Plus, someone called him OG, which I think is hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> there is a difference from the people behind the mic and the guys who are playing the sport there is an outrageous level of how really good they are at mm-hmm. what they do compared to how good we are at what we do they are way better at what they do than what we are at what we do yes Say that. and what we are what the, they do yeah oh, and, and <laughs> Don't. just on the straight comparison as well <laughs> whoa they are way better but if everyone grew up trying to be sports talk yes, radio hosts like true. they would be they would be so much better than we are yeah um <laughs> We fell into it. Anyway, so I wanted to give that shout out because I am giving him a hard time on Twitter right now. At 11, what up, though? Name Kirk. Who do the Jazz target with their summer money if none of the major Max guys are available? Um, so this is a very interesting question. And to be clear, I have no inside information on this whatsoever. I know that the Jazz have targeted Nico Miritich in the past. I know that he would make some sense on this Jazz team. I do not know if they are... Uh, allocating any money to give him an offer. I don't know if they. I you know I know that they were would like to add a player of Tobias's Harris, Tobias Harris's caliber. I know that there are questions about whether or not it's wise to give him a five year, hundred fifty million dollar contract. Um, so I don't know whether or not the Jazz would even be willing to do that. Uh, but beyond kind of the major max guys, uh, you know, I think you you kind of look at Malcolm Brogdon is a name that a lot of people have brought up. Restricted free agent point guard for the Bucks, uh, coming off of his rookie contract, has been phenomenal. One of the more efficient scorers in the league, can shoot, can defend. Um, some of the question there is, as always, is with the restricted free agents, is are you going to give up, offer him enough money that the the Bucks don't match? The good news with Malcolm Brogdon is that the the Bucks are in a little bit of a, a cap situation. Uh, they've got. They've got $123 million in cap uh, that they've spent this year. They've got Giannis moving forward. They've got to extend Chris Middleton, uh, assuming that they get keep him around. And that deal is going to be $30 million a year, um, approaching 33 I believe, because the cap goes up to $109 million next year. Um, you look at Nico Miritich. Are they going to keep him around? Are they going to keep Tony Snell around? He's being paid $11 million a year. Brooke Lopez is a free agent. He's been a really big key to what they do at, at the center position. His ability to shoot from 27, 28 feet um, has really opened up their offense for guys like Giannis and has, has been a big part of them being the best team in the league. So in order for them to keep their team around, they legitimately have to spend $150 million, $160, $170. I mean, we're really talking about that if, if they say yes to all of their guys that they uh, can, can keep on the roster. Now... Are they willing to do that? I don't know. That's a that's an ownership group that hasn't really been a luxury tax team 
before. Are they willing to do that if they are the best team in the Eastern Conference? Maybe. I, I, I don't know. If they're not, maybe there is that opportunity to snag Malcolm Brogdon with the right kind of contract. Well, and don't you think Malcolm Brogdon's going to be a hot commodity, being a 50, 40, 90 guy, somebody that has really taken uh, a step 100%. And if you're the Bucks, you really ought to be willing to go into the luxury tax if you're going to be that top team in the East and if things go well in the postseason uh, come playoff time. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, again, with the restricted free agent, you kind of have to decide whether or not um, you you really think that you have a chance, or if you're just going to be wasting that salary cap space for those three days. But for me, that's kind of one of my favorite under the radar kind of uh, prospects. Not prospects. That's the wrong word. But uh, free agent signings that the Jazz could maybe think about signing next year. Prospects. You want to talk about Zion Williamson? I do want to talk about Zion, and we'll, we will definitely do that next segment. Um, I, you know, I, I, I'm legitimately. First of all, the NBA is going to be changing this. The the uh, age deadline, the age minimum is this going to be this reduced. Morning, right? Um, at some point, you know, yes, they've made their formal kind yeah. of uh statement this morning, which hey, that was well timed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, we're we're going to see what they're able to do with that. You know, I, I think I'm I'm really curious to see. In fact, let's just say that for next segment. Okay. We've got a lot All of right. thoughts on Zion right. Williamson, what college basketball means, and really how uh, it makes sense to have it exist alongside the NBA in a, in, a, in a better way. So let's talk about that next segment. We've got to take a break, but that's coming up next here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. Back to the analytics, opinions, and best breakdown of the Utah Jazz and the NBA. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. All right, welcome back into the Salt City Hoops show. It's Andy Larson, JP Chunga, joining you for the second hour of the program. I'm the Utah Jazz beat writer for the Salt Lake Tribune. J.P. Chunga is the producer of Gunther and Ben here on ESPN 700 every Monday through Friday, uh, 2 to 6. Yes. And then you also do men's basketball pre and post. Is that correct? 4K satellite pregame show, two hours before every single Utah men's basketball game. Love it. Uh, with with Porter Larson, correct? Yes. No relation to Andy Larson. Porter, Porter just another kid with Swedish-Danish background. Just another white movie. dude, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Very, very true. You're a dime a dozen I here. <laughs> I can, uh, can't disagree with that. So, as always, we welcome your uh, input on the show. We love hearing from you guys. If you want to send me a question on the NBA, the Utah Jazz, what's coming up next for the Jazz, uh, any of anything you can possibly imagine, please feel free to do so. You can tweet me at Andy B. Larson. You can tweet JP at JP underscore Chunga. You can call us 877-353-0700. You can also send us texts on the Mercedes-Benz of Farmington text line 877-353-0700. But we wanted to get into maybe the biggest conversation in the world of basketball right now, and that is the Zion Williamson story. Uh, last night, Duke playing UNC biggest game of the season in fact we're seeing it right now on this tnt broadcast of the of the thursday night game zion uh blew out his shoe and uh as a result sprained his knee uh 
missed the rest of the game. This was 30 seconds in to the, the Duke-UNC game. Sprained his knee, missed the rest of it. It sounds actually like this was best-case scenario. It was a minor sprain of his MCL. Sounds like he's day-to-day moving forward, but there's no structural instability of his knee. But still, kind of the question of what could have been is, is a real one. Uh, and kind of all the different forces that are in play for a, a future NBA superstar in Zion Williamson versus the, you know, that he's working for free essentially for Duke basketball uh, while Coach K, the NCAA, CBS, et cetera, et cetera, make millions of dollars. So what are kind of your takes on this, JP? And, and let's kind of talk about what needs to change in, in the college basketball landscape. This was a perfect just uh, tee up in terms of what's happening uh, for college basketball in displaying what shamaturism is at that level and what you have to deal with. Now, I thought it was a funny back and forth between Donovan Mitchell and Luka Doncic on Twitter where Donovan was tweeting about, he said something rather benign when it comes to taking on the NCAA, just saying that things need to change with what they're doing down there. And Luka Doncic says you can get paid going to going to Europe. I, yeah. Uh, paraphrasing that. But what is ultimately the point, the sticking point between players like Zion Williamson or guys who are thinking about going to Europe if they want to get paid you really have the biggest microphone with college basketball. G League isn't going to provide it. Mm-hmm. Europe's not going to provide it. Playing in China is not going to provide it. This is the feeder system and the minor league for NBA basketball and it's college basketball. And and right now with, with Zion Williamson, what the situation that he ended up in, he has to wear Nike because Coach K is getting paid by Nike. And then as a result... His shoes break on him, and and he's going to have this without workers' comp, without uh, the major benefits that a union-backed or a labor um, force would have in a usual situation between a a employee and an employer because we believe in this ideal of, of amateurism and, and we are propping it up with the NCAA. Also just say it's a, you know, you mentioned that you get the, the biggest microphone, the the exposure of playing in college basketball. It's also just uh, honestly a lot easier yeah. uh, than going over to Europe and playing against grown men in the ACB or wherever league, whatever league you choose. You're going to be even if you're you're a talented 18 year old kid, you're going to struggle against the 28, 29, 30 year olds that are the best players in in those international leagues. If you go to the G League, it's it's better. You're again playing against developing talent. There's it's mostly younger guys, though not 18 year olds. But you do have to take the occasional bus ride to Rio Grande Valley and and play the Vipers, and you know you, you've got to play the the Sioux Falls and uh, the Miami Heat team so uh you know it's it's not as glamorous as is duke basketball and, and even though you know duke plays in some weird cities sometimes too you know it's it, you've got the you have a charter you've got a charter 100 because yeah. if you're going to these big teams uh like duke unc the brand names that you see at the top of college basketball they have charters if you're going uh in the other places like well this isn't the same but ucla uh, the reason why it's not an attractive job is because that team goes commercial to every place. So there right. are different differences within the college basketball structure. And so I guess the question is, is I, so I totally get why most of the players still choose college yeah. basketball over the G League, especially given that, quite frankly, most of them are still paid. 
Mm-hmm. All right, like we have to be honest about this. Uh, <laughs> most yeah. college basketball players, the the ones you've heard of, are paid to be at the schools they're at. So if you're thinking about taking that fifty thousand, hundred fifty thousand dollar G League contract, or you're you're thinking about taking eighty thousand dollars from whoever under the table and having and not having to ride buses to Sioux Falls, then you know you might as well just take the college basketball one because you're getting paid anyway. Um, but I think what needs to change, and I'm curious kind of what you think kind of the, the solution is here, is I, I think we need to kind of get away from expecting them and, and calling it that it's it's free uh, officially. You know, I, I think we, we need to say we either whether that be a salary cap system, whether that be a uh, – whether whether that be a, a bigger, just completely wide open market for the best players, whether that even be a college football esque, uh, no, it needs to be better than college football. I'm yeah. sorry, but <laughs> whatever whatever it looks like, we need some recognition that these players are bringing their talents to the ecosystem, and that's why that that the ecosystem works. And the most, the easiest way that you could do it, just above ground and from the the black market that you create with these guys getting payments under the table rather than out in the open would be the likeness one where they can do these things and allow themselves to sign their shoe deals early. There's no reason Zion Williamson should be bound to what Coach K has decided for him already when I would argue Zion Williamson might be equal or more value to Duke basketball than Coach K right now. He has become that— Certainly to Nike. Yeah. He is more valuable to to Nike than Coach K is. That big of a, of a personality that is getting NBA people— I saw Ben Golliver at this game yeah. uh, for Duke-UNC. How many college basketball games are NBA reporters going to be going to? How many college basketball games is the president going yeah. to be going to? He is outsized uh, what he can provide to Duke, and and in these special cases, they should certainly be compensated. We've got a caller, Jay, uh, calling and giving his opinion. Jay, what's up? Hey, Andy, how you doing? Long time no talk. Yeah, how are you? I'm doing well, thanks. I uh, I follow your European basketball like crazy, and uh, Lucas Point. It really doesn't translate. And I'll tell you why. In Europe, they play a different style of basketball. So you're going to get a kid that wants to go over to Europe and make some money, and he's not going to get on the floor. Because with rare exception, they play the game so differently. It's all about team and ball movement, whereas all of these great high school kids have come up through an AAU system where it's it's a one-man show. It's me, 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 and look what I can go and do in ball-dominant scenarios. And that just doesn't happen in Europe, and guys just don't translate at that age, yeah. especially when they're playing against, like you said, 29, 30, 31, 32-year-olds. There's, there's great players in EuroLeague right now. There's 60 guys that played in the NBA, and for a lot of those guys, it took years for them to become the right fit. And you look and see, and there's only like two guys averaging more than 15 points a game because it's all about team and ball movement and back screens and stuff that guys haven't really done playing in the AAU. Now, now, but, so what I think they, go ahead. Sorry, go ahead. 
No, I, I was going to say, you know, that might be good for some of those guys to learn those skills to be ready for the NBA. So from like a developmental point of view, there might be some upside there. But in terms of building a brand, in terms of building where your draft slot is, in terms of, you know, just making the most money possible. Yeah, those guys are going to be choosing college basketball, even though they're not getting paid over what the, the dangers of, of going to Europe are. Well, and I, I think it, it, it becomes just a very interesting scenario because then you kind of get forgotten if you end up over there, and, and then they're just looking at high school tape and going, okay, you went and you made your money like Terrence Ferguson did in, in Australia and Emmanuel Moutier did when he went to China. And you get some guys like that who can actually make the move, but they don't even really get the shine. But then what I see is a scenario that would, would, I think, help this with the NCAA and these guys getting paid is setting up trust for these elite athletes where their likeness and the money that they've raised from their jersey sales and all this and getting shoe deals shouldn't be paid to them while they're in college. Why not? But it goes into a fund. It goes into a – well, just because then it creates a huge problem, but then it goes into a fund for them that once they're done college, they can they, they get all that money. So they didn't lose all the money that their brand created in college, but then it becomes a scenario where they still get it, but it's more of a, a – like delayed satisfaction yeah i mean i I see that i I guess my thought on that and and thanks for the call jay i you know i I think the the, my thought is you know so many of these kids grow up in lower income households um you know you you may have a or heck they're just parents who uh run into health problems or you know whatever it is and so if i'm if I'm a Zion Williamson and I'm getting paid 10 million but i can't access it until three years down the road or whatever maybe even one year down the road and my mom breaks her back in an accident. You know, like I, I want to have access to that money. Or even if, even if it is just to improve my community, I, you know, why wait an extra three years? And I get like maybe eighteen-year-old kids aren't very good at handling that money. But I, to be honest, I don't think that that should be college basketball's problem if they are earning that money. It's one hundred percent uncomfortable to give kids money like that. Sure, but. Some of them need it. Some of the, their families they need it more than need it now. They need to eat now than w- to be hungry and have it three years down the road. Look, the the truth of the matter is that these kids need the money more than the executives at yeah. CBS and TNT do, and they need it more than the coaches do, who have already made millions and millions of dollars. They already they need it significantly more than the university does in order to you know create whatever basketball practice building in order to get the next guy. You know what I mean? Like yeah. The, just from a dollar value use of money, the kids need it more than than where it's going right now. The fact that it makes uh, people uncomfortable should not deter the fact that they should get the money right now. Yeah. Uh, 100%. And if you're going to Europe, how incumbent is that team to allow you to make mistakes on the floor when they're trying to win games? Not at all. Right. Like uh, Jake brings up a great point, and I really appreciate yeah, his call. That, that uh, you know, he's, he's totally right that those kids, if you go over, and especially if you go to the wrong league, if you're going to the ACB, you've got no chance. If you go to Lithuania, maybe things are different. But, uh, you know, you've, you've got to – it is just a, a – you're not going to play that much. You're going to get yelled at by a coach that doesn't speak the same language as you, and you're going to struggle. Like, you just are. But uh, Brandon Jennings struggled, you know, and and not that Brandon Jennings became a fantastic NBA player, but was a really significant high school prospect that went over to Europe and struggled. Uh, I I just think that that that's a tough situation, and I get why guys stay, and that doesn't mean that we don't owe it to everyone else in college basketball to make the situation better. This is the best avenue that 
players have, uh, in my estimation, at least right now, for getting to the NBA with uh, how you are allowed to uh, have opportunities at the college level, uh, just looking at the human aspect. Some people need college as a bridge uh, between getting out of the house and leaving uh, high school and having uh, a chance to grow up or enjoy the college experience. There are tangible values in there uh, just in terms of becoming an adult and and learning those things. Uh, That being said, they certainly do need to have other opportunities to make money and have have what they're doing, the labor that they produce – get tangible benefits to themselves as they are producing Coach K, his big deal with Nike, Roy Williams, his big deal with Air Jordan, Jim Beheim, his deal with Nike as well. They they provide so much to those guys in, in what they do uh, and how they have propped up their careers that the players should now be able to reap those benefits as well. And I'm with you. I think you can you can do this in kind of a – you can end amateurism and not have it ruin everything. You know, like I think if you like take the kid from Florida, the college football kid who uh, wanted to make YouTube videos and the NCAA stopped him from doing that. Like that is insane. That is insane. That is irresponsible and immoral, quite frankly, for the NCAA to do that. You can't make a YouTube video. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Are you like those YouTube ads? Oh, my. They're corrupting. It, like and the nerve of I, I like it, it honestly makes me furious yeah. that you I I you know if you want to say hey a kid can't get a, a million dollars from Nike you know that's maybe that's one thing but you can't make a YouTube video because you're making the ad revenue the the ten cents you get per view or whatever like give me a break holy cow sorry that that legitimately just makes me angry yeah it's it's frustrating when you see. How how everybody else's pockets are also getting into it. You saw the ticket prices for last night's game, how mm. they were approaching Super Bowl status in what um, people were paying just to get yeah, in three thousand dollars a ticket to see Zion, to see this Duke basketball team that has uh, three top ten recruits on it, right. freshmen that will likely not be there next year and are just doing this as a bridge to their NBA careers and getting drafted uh, next year, they were there to see that moment. It wasn't the good old boys, oh, I want to see uh, some four-year starter play against uh, Duke, Luke May. Nobody was in there for Luke May, even though he had a phenomenal game with 30 points. They were there for the star power and, and yeah. what we've seen from these brands. And considerably, they were also there for the Duke and UNC um, microphone that you have because of all the great games that they have, which leads into the fact that this is the best opportunity for them to be seen. You watched ESPN at any point any point yesterday and they were hyping that game up like nobody's business they had everybody out there getting ready to watch the game they were producing the hell out of it and it was a production that should be fit professional status for these guys yeah um so i guess the the chunga larson plan if you will (laughs) is uh allow these players to have get money because of their likeness, whether that be from makers of NCAA football 2019 or the basketball equivalent, whether that be from Nike or Adidas or whatever, Puma, New Balance, whoever wants to pay you, whether that be from YouTube ads, whether that be from uh, selling jerseys at the team store, you know, all those things, I think those players should be getting uh, the money that, that they're owed on that. 
And then from there, do you think that the the colleges should be paying paying these players at all, or or is that uh, above? Is that a, a step too far to you? It should, right, let's be honest. Right now, the colleges are paying the players. We yeah. just don't know about it. It should be uh, in that respect. They should be able to pay them above above ground with how much all, all they're making as the franchises of the teams. Is there a a salary cap system? Is there a? Is it just the open? Is it the wild wild west where you give? Zion two million dollars a year. You know what? What do you do? That's whoever has the most money to pay him. I mean, if you ask me, I would say there should be no salary cap, and these players should be able to earn what they want. But, but you're such a socialist. JP. I know. I think. Well, that's the thing. We shouldn't be putting uh, limits on these guys who are providing the labor for these coaches that are ah, getting paid exorbitant amounts of money for these guys. I'm going to side with the players over the bosses every single time, Andy. You okay. know this. That's true. But. If you're going to have a salary cap and if you're going to have uh, these sort of things, make it more professional in that way, that would be fine because if you allow them to have the likeness uh, angle of things, then you can have these uh, shoe companies really provide the other things that you can get from these big brands. If you want to play at Duke, you're going to get a great shoe deal or have great relationships with with the type of guys that, that Duke can connect you to. But like John Morant, who is at Murray State, Mm -hmm. he should still be able, even though he may have been under-recruited, decided to go somewhere that isn't going to give him the biggest microphone, he should still be able to make as much money as everybody else, even though his individual university may not have the funds. But if Nike goes to him and wants to jump on the John Morant train because he's jumping over somebody and having a poster that will be repeated on social media every single day and give them a great advertising tool, yes, you should allow the outside forces, which I think is the more realistic plan uh, for these players going forward, using the likeness as the wild, wild west. That, that that's a really good point. Is like You do have under-recruited guys that become stars in college basketball. Yeah. That's kind of what makes college basketball fun. But if you do kind of allow the market to respond to them while they have their seasons, while they have, uh, while they make a name for themselves in, in basketball, then you know you can have Nike could give Ja you know two hundred thousand dollars or whatever mm-hmm. in order to wear his shoes for the rest of the year, and and that might be that would be that would be good in a way that like Murray State basketball may not be able to afford giving him two hundred thousand dollars, but he can still make it, and and it's it's kind of reflecting of what he's he's done on the court. And Dame did that for Weber State. He he stayed around for his entire college experiences, was allowed uh, to vault that team to the NCAA tournament, get that squad on the map. And there's tangible benefits to him being able to do that and and provide a bigger microphone for Weber State to go on the national yeah. stage. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. Now, this, th- this does seem like it is going to be changing. We're on kind of the the verge of a sea change here where the NBA has asked that the age minimum goes down to 18. The MBPA seems to agree in uh, the kind of general sense, but not on the particulars. And that's going to be interesting to see how that negotiation happens, whether or not that it's able to happen before uh, the end of this current collective bargaining agreement with the NBA or after. I think obviously that will change things. And a lot of these kids like Zion Williamson will just straight up skip college basketball and go yeah. to the NBA. Um, and, and, you know, honestly, that's a reasonable ish solution for guys like that too. Um, I do think, you know, we, we saw Nike stock price go down yet today, like, uh, Darren Raffel project predicted. I do think that like 
this, and I, I don't think it's just because of their their shoe falling apart. I think that Nike uh, does benefit from some of these deals, and I think that the, a, a uh, event like the Zion Williamson thing today changes what uh, what can be expected from from Nike taking advantage of those kind of athletes in the future. So, but it does feel like this is this is kind of one of the biggest moments that is going to lead to the things changing in the league moving forward. This was tremendous for people like us who are arguing on the behalf of these players who want to see these changes because it happened to the biggest force in college basketball right now. And one of the biggest phenomenons in college basketball. I only remember Kevin Durant having this much hype around him in everybody need to watch his game. Every single game became much, much watch TV in the entire lead up to his season and knowing what he was just as a recruit. There have been other flashpoints in college basketball history, Jimmer included, of guys who you learn their names because they're cool college basketball names and and us college basketball fans love it. But this was truly a cross cross the table. We all knew about Zion Williamson coming in. We didn't know about Jimmer coming in. Yeah, everybody knew about Zion Williamson. Everybody knew what he could provide for Duke. Everybody knew about this Duke team and all the players that they had on it, all the good players that they had on it. And now this can be a good inflection point for the argument for players' rights when it comes to the NCAA. Agreed. And especially if they continue, if the NBA com- players continue to bring this up. Because if they, if they do that, that'll give uh, the players that are actually in college basketball more of a voice because they know other people are going to help them out and magnify their voices as well. We've got a fascinating game on TNT right now on on NBA uh, NBA on TNT. Uh, Milwaukee is up 1.9897 on the Boston Celtics. The uh, it's not players only. Good news. Uh, the, Who's the- on the call, James? The James, our producer. I do not know. I'm not listening to it. <laughs> we just know it's not players only okay, due to the, the, the lack of graphics. There were three and a half seconds left, and it was interesting. Uh, the, despite Miller. the lead, the Bucks chose uh, to kind of – the Celtics chose not to foul the Bucks with three and a half seconds differential between the shot and the game clock. And then Marcus Smart actually just straight up – kind of stripped onto Takumpo of the ball. It ended up being a jump ball between those two players, uh, but there was only 0.2 seconds left on the shot clock, so that uh, changes what happens there as well. We'll see what happens. It, they just called a shot clock violation on that play, um, and so now there are three or so seconds left for the Celtics to uh, should be their ball with about a, a you know, like I say, three seconds left, one-point deficit in order to go ahead and, and try to win this game. In Milwaukee, this would obviously have big impacts on on the Eastern Conference. Um, we're going to go ahead and take a break, watch the final three seconds of this game. We'll come back to you with those results and much more from around the NBA and the Utah Jazz next here on the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700. The home of the best Utah Jazz and NBA breakdown is right here. This is Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Salt City Hoops show on ESPN 700, Andy Larson, J.P. Chunga. 
coming at you. We've got a half hour left in the show. Just had a good discussion on the Zion Williamson situation in college basketball uh, and, and kind of how it affects the NBA as well. I, I just think that that's so interesting and how that will evolve moving forward. It's really going to impact what happens in the league. I feel terrible for con- for Zion, but this is tremendous content. <laughs> uh don't don't that's, revel this. That's a Darren Revel tweet. Don't revel this. Is, uh, is Revel yeah. your least favorite sports? <laughs> oh yeah, reporter? by a mile. Okay. Uh, instantly, as the Zion Williamson situation happens, he gets injured. It's a person getting injured. Darren Revel's tweeting about stock options for Nike. Yeah, come on, that's a robot. If I've ever seen a robot, yeah, no, he's he is the worst. Uh, <laughs> He was right, though. We'll, we'll get this time. Congratulations for being right. Somebody got injured. He's a he's a person. Right. It is not a brand that you should be talking about at this point. It's the person. It's very Sorry. true. <laughs> very true, JP. He all he all he sees are just numbers and and uh, what was the quote that I had to use? Some of your best friends are numbers. I think Darren Ravel, some of his best <laughs> friends are just brands and brands yes, tweeting at sure. him. Um, that, <laughs> is it better to have best friends in numbers or best friends in brands? Oh, 100% numbers. You don't want to be a slave to the brands. You're, just saying, that I'm, you're just saying that because I'm right here. Ravel right here. I, I, Unlike Anthony Davis, I'm not going to throw you under the bus. I'm not going to omit you from all my conversations at All-Star Weekend. I'm going to include you in into things. I'm going to at least put up the facade that we're good teammates. I see. Well, thank and you. I'm trying for you. Thank you. Uh, I mean, thank you, first of all, for stepping in today when you didn't have to. Joining me on the show, I appreciate that. Good teammate. That, to me, actions speak louder than words. Yes. And your actions are that you came here to speak words today. And that is uh, appreciated. So thank you. Thank you also to James Peterson, by the way, for producing our show. I want to talk about Dante Exum a little bit here. Speaking of players with injuries who we need to be nice to. Uh, he has been out since January 5th, uh, sprained an ankle early in the game against the Jazz's uh, comeback win against the Detroit Pistons, uh, and since then has has been out, has been announced today, this afternoon, as out for tomorrow's Jazz game against the Oklahoma City Thunder as well. Um, that means that it's essentially been six weeks since uh, Dante Exum was able to play, actually a little bit more than six weeks and that's surprising. You know, when this ankle injury first came about, uh, it was speculated, it was reported that it would be a two to four week absence for Dante Exum, kind of a short, uh, going to miss five to 10 games thing. There were still questions about whether or not he could reach the contract bonuses that he has, that he gets 200,000 if he plays 67, and then another 200,000 if he plays 72 games. I believe those are the, the exact numbers, but if not, it's in that ballpark. Um, and now he's he's missed enough games that he's definitely going to be missing those bonuses as well. So I, I guess um, that this injury has lasted longer than expected is is concerning. And maybe the first time in Dante Exum's injury history that like I didn't think that this was kind of a fluke happening and maybe does reflect some larger like injury vulnerability. Um, maybe and again, it's so hard to say. I don't know what happened here. I, you know, maybe there was a setback. Maybe there was, maybe it was just a surprise how long this took. Um, but this does feel like a long time for it, for a, a sprained ankle. That being said, I totally believe that Dante Axum wants to play. Again, first of all, he has bonuses in his contract. If he does play a certain number of games and second of all, 
you can tell watching him uh, as he practices, as he gets back in his recovery, that he he is itching to play. So it, I don't think it's a lack of desire by any means, um, and it is just unfortunate for the Jazz because I do think that they have missed him out there on the court, on the court especially with that second unit. They one hundred percent miss him, and and you can see why uh, definitely during the season, and most pointedly during the uh, playoffs last season, how impactful he can be for the Jazz and how much of an addition he can be alongside this this group. Uh, him being in, in the plans for Utah going forward, how, how much of this injury history and everything that you've seen through, what, 200 or so, 180-so games that he's logged? 201 he has played now. Ooh, almost there. Nice. Uh, but looking at that as the sample size that you have for Dante Exum, how realistic can you be to know that this isn't just somebody whose body is failing him, he's an injury-prone uh, player, and, and how much can you can you glean from that and keep him in in your future plans? That's going to be the decision that they're going to have to come up with and and well and at this point you've decide. already signed him the 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 three-year contract right yeah. like so you already have him under contract for two years I, I, and i guess you do have to consider whether or not you're going to be trading him moving him, um, yeah. but uh, you know again i don't know how much interest there is around the league and dante axima at this point given the the issues and, and given the contract that he does have but i do think that it's important to look at how you approach uh, kind of the point guard spot moving forward. And, and in particular, I, I'm highly uncomfortable with kind of slotting him in as a uh, as a significant piece moving forward for the Utah Jazz. You know, I, I think that he, you kind of have to regard him as if he is that quote-unquote X factor, no pun intended. Uh, yeah, that was rough. I'm sorry. Mm. If he is a guy who can give you more than you expected, great. But in terms of, you know, if you're looking towards next season and trying to decide who's going to be playing starting point guard for you next year and you've decided Ricky Rubio isn't the guy for you I don't think you can say Dante Axum is the guy either because of his his injury history and you know his inability to stay on the floor and quite frankly his inconsistency when he has been on the floor well would you take uh, Dante Axum straight up over Ricky Rubio if if Axum's healthy I'm not sure that you would yeah no I I think it's I I think that's a I think certainly you would have to say over the aggregate of their careers Ricky Rubio has played better than Dante Axum yeah. I would say that during those three months or three weeks where Dante Axum was really good and I know it's only three weeks it's not very much but he did play really really well in December and and so maybe you have to start saying you know you do have some uh some future there. I don't know what that is, but uh, you, you may have an argument there. I guess you could say between Ricky and Dante. But yeah, I, I I think certainly if you're at all fair about it, you have to give Ricky the edge there. If even with that December, I think you still go Ricky Rubio uh, with what yeah you can have for this team because of of his ability um, defensively uh, being proven and, and showing what he can get get done um not to go to a a non-stat based thing but i think the chemistry that he develops with this team something that he highlighted before the trade 
after the trade di- deadline, rather, yeah. uh, that he has with this and team. And before. <laughs> he <laughs> yeah, was pretty probably. clearly like, it was It was funny, like, in, in those last interviews before the trade deadline, he was like, this is, <laughs> you know, even when we were asking him, like, hey, so, hey, Ricky, how'd the game go? Well, man, I just love this team. This is my favorite team I've ever been on. This is just such an incredible group of guys. It's really something special we have here. And we're like, Ricky, you had eight assists tonight. How does that feel? Well, again, it was just all my teammates, and I, again, this is... This is incredible. And then, yes, after uh, you were you're kind of referencing where he said, you know, chemistry is something that's something that the people upstairs don't always always consider as, as much as they you should. You got to move on, Andy. Got to move on. Do we that have was... questions about tonight's game? No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I appreciate you playing the role there of uh, of Jazz PR moving forward, trying to trying to get some questions about tonight's game in. But yeah, no, there was. Um, you know, Ricky was trying was clearly unhappy about what unfolded there during the deadline. And, you know, Ricky was part of that that trade offer and and uh you know, I I understand why he'd be upset about that. I understand why if I were in his shoes, I'd do everything in my power to try to stay where I am too, and I think that includes some pithy quotes to the press. But like you know, so you understand that, but on the other hand, you also understand that the Jazz have to do the best thing yeah. for the future of their franchise. And you know, Mike Conley is, by all accounts, a significantly better player. And with the group that they have, they would have benefited greatly by having Mike Conley on this team, adding another a piece around Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, and, and what they have. Now that being said, based on everything I've heard from the the deal, I you know I don't think that the jazz uh you know being in if i were in the jazz's shoes too it sounds like the deal wouldn't have gotten done either you know if if i were the one making the decisions i, I you know i i don't think it, it would have gotten done so uh, i i don't think it's fair to attack the front office there um but it's nevertheless it's it's kind of a a kind of i don't want to say a missed opportunity it's just something that they tried to do it shows that they're trying to improve the team in that way and it, and it didn't happen and and you know, again if we're looking to what the jazz are going to be doing this offseason uh that they that they tried to improve at the point guard spot then does kind of indicate that they want to probably improve at the point guard spot uh, in two months when when they're able to again and it doesn't spell great great things for ricky rubio uh in terms of long-term plans for this team in you know it'd be fine has. right it, it, i think there could be a way for Ricky Rubio to stay with this team moving forward if he's willing to take a smaller role yeah. you know honestly like backup point yeah. guard Ricky Rubio is fine as your third guard Ricky Rubio is fine i don't think you really want to play a ton of minutes with him next to Donovan Mitchell because of what it allows defenses to do next to Donovan Mitchell and and there are some matchups where it hurts you less, and some defenses where it hurts you less, and there are some matchups and and uh, defenses where it, it it really kills you. And you know we've seen that from other point guards, uh, you know, in in the past too. You know, like Jose Calderon used to be a starting level point guard, and then is is not, and you know, like that that just happens, and and that's that's fine. You know, we've seen guys take smaller roles to play on better teams and for the betterment of the team. Uh, you know, Dennis Schroeder. Um, you rarely see it on the same team, but maybe that's what it would take from Ricky Rubio to to be able to stay on the Utah Jazz if the if that chemistry is so important to him. And peers that he it has been, he brings up the love that he has for the team uh, all the time, and the love that he has for all the characters uh, in the locker room as well. Ricky Rubio clearly uh, would has. I'm not so sure it's going to be, you know, a, a sticking point going forward. It's, oh, it's going to be bad for the team what Ricky Rubio is doing. He's had this situation no, in I, the past with every single Timberwolves team that he's basically been on, except 
uh, for the exception, probably his first or second year in the league. He's been in trade rumors before. I'm sure yeah. he'll he'll get through that. And and honestly, if anything, you know, it's it's kind of a, a happiness, right? A happiness to that he actually did get to stay, right? Yeah. So like that kind of overwhelms the feeling of dread that you may have felt before. And yeah, you hated that you were put through that dread, but you know, you got what you wanted in the end. So in the end, it, it's hard to complain too much about that. Um, we got to take a break, but we've got one final segment left of the Salt City Hoop Show that's coming up next here on ESPN 700. You're listening to Salt City Hoops on Utah's number one sports talk, ESPN 700. Welcome back in. Salt City Hoop Show. Andy Larson, JP Chunga coming at you for the last segment, 7 to 9. In case you didn't hear earlier, we're moving the show to Tuesdays moving forward. This is our last Thursday show. So uh, keep us keep watching for us on 7 to 9 on ESPN 700 now, 700 now on Tuesdays. Uh, usually it will be Ben Anderson. Um, sorry, JP. It's all right. But I appreciate you filling in today. Uh We'll get Ben and I back, and Ben will have crazy Ben takes moving forward. And, and he has them. <laughs> he does have Don't them. Don't worry. He is locked uh, and loaded. Yeah. He likes Terry Rozier. You do not. Terry Rozier sucks. <laughs> uh, no, but he's, Terry Rozier is not good. You should not. If Terry Rozier is your point guard of the future, things are bad. I um, almost brought him up in our free agency discussion. That's who, fair. Who should be... Uh, uh, options for the Jazz going forward. Look, you aren't high on Terry, and Rozier. you are not the only person to say that. Like there yeah. are, the, you are many. You are one of many people. Tony Jones, for example, loves Terry Rozier. He's like, you know, he's just a dog, man. He just tries hard <laughs> in the playoffs. The only reason he's struggling this season is because his role's not big enough. The man has not shot over forty percent from the field in his life. He's right now at thirty-eight percent from the field. Uh, and yeah, he plays good defense, but you have the same, basically you're just trading problems. You know, if Ricky Rubio is having better shooting percentages than you. Um, that's not going to open up more space for Donovan Mitchell on the floor. There is that Louisville tie there, which means that you, you probably, you may actually be able to get him, uh, to, to sign a, a offer sheet with you and Boston would be very willing to give him up, but that's because he's not very good. So Terry Rozier, bad idea. Good idea or bad idea? Space Jam 2. We got a release date today. Good idea. I want to see this movie remade because I didn't enjoy the very first one. <laughs> I was looking the second fo- time around? I would look forward to uh what LeBron James's uh film is uh, is going to be about because if you watch Trainwreck, he had a good acting debut. He was very good in Trainwreck. Yeah. I I enjoyed Trainwreck primarily because of LeBron James. I, I actually thought the rest of it was not that good. But Amari Sotomayor was great, he, but LeBron James was a yeah. better actor than Amari Sotomayor was. Like the the difference, the gap there was was palpable, and so I'm excited for more LeBron on the big screen. Um, that movie, by the way, is coming is released July 16th, 2021. Guess what else is happening in July 2021? Rich Paul, uh, <laughs> Rich Paul client? getting involved. Is that going to be a client in uh, free agency? Then? LeBron has a player option for the 21-22 season. We all know that LeBron is going to exercise every player option he has. So LeBron James will be a free agent in the summer of, tw- of 2021, but beginning July 1st, what if he announced his 
destination in Space Jam 2. That would be beautiful. That would be... Midnight release. That's how you do it. That's the next evolution. TV show. Then to movies. Next, it'll be uh, probably an album just dropped on us, uh, revealing where you're going to go. Frankly, that should be in next, before this movie, and if he's going to reveal it in Space Jam. I would go album before a movie. For LeBron or for any player? For any player. I don't you know, like Dame... That's a good idea, right? Yes, that is a good idea. Famous, uh, great rapper of the NBA, one of the actual good ones that are out there compared to the likes of uh, uh, Gordon Hayward, who had a, a famous <laughs> rap song. Yeah, Gordon's wasn't good. <laughs> Lonzo Ball had a pretty mediocre one. Was it? Was it? Uh, oh, that's right. It was Scotty G who had the take that it, uh, us watching players only must be like, yeah rappers listening to nba players rap like it's just it's just not great yeah but that also inflates how hard the job is on our end when it is not as difficult as is rap hard yes oh yeah oh yeah oh Oh, it's very hard that's that's true 100 percent. so it's even worse yeah so they probably look at uh, nba rappers with even more disdain than we look at players only yes okay the this side of the mic is way easier than anything anything else anybody can gas bag like us that's that's true anybody uh and we we always welcome you to do so on the salty hey yeah i want you to join us um so you uh you don't like the original space jam no i agree with you i think it's it's not a good film uh it it has some moments uh it has some characters i think it's objectively bad here's the deal the best part of space jam are the stories that came around Space Jam. The legendary runs that they would have offset. Mm. All the stories around the movie that you watched and the only cultural touchstone is the monster juice that everybody uses when it comes to finding a bottom-of-the-barrel meme that you uh, type out for yeah. somebody in the lead-up and discussion of Space Jam. I don't think the movie is legacy enough rather than Jordan's competitive spirit and all the, the games and the building of a of a court so that they could play uh, while uh, Jordan was trying to film this movie on set. But, like, as a kid growing up, I had no idea about any of that, right? Like, yeah. I, just, I just liked the movie because it was cartoon characters and basketball. Like, But watch it now as a fully uh, yeah. formed adult. <laughs> it's not good. And it does not hold up at all. No, it does not. And especially many of those movies in the 90s don't don't hold up. Few things really hold up uh, the test of time. And unfortunately, just as looking at a movie standpoint, Space Jam does not do that for me. Even though it has great performance by Bill Murray, who's in that movie, Larry Bird's fun to watch as well. Beyond that, I'm, I'm yeah, keep it, keep Space Jam. Yeah, uh, I agree. Bill Murray should have been a larger part of the movie, if anything. One hundred percent. It should be in around Bill Murray, and, <laughs> rather than Michael. Well, and here's the deal: we'll also have great takes from people uh, when this Space Jam movie comes out because you'll have a direct comparison: Jordan, yes. LeBron, actor, yes. Chops. Agreed. And I think. Once again, advantage LeBron. Ooh, spicy takes. <laughs> I'm just lobbing these spicy. bombs now. It's the end of the show. We can lob yeah. it up. Nobody's calling in late. <laughs> <laughs> I want to ask you about Epe's book club. You're a reader. Yes. I'm a reader. 
doing another author talk next Tuesday, uh, talking to Kiesa Lehman, I believe is how you say his name, uh, of the author of Heavy, uh, his memoir. What do you think about Epe's Book Club? You pro? Are you in on Epe's Book Club? 100% pro. Of course. No one's as anti-Epe's Book Club. Well, and That I'll- would be ridiculous. I'm I'm pro just all all Epe the witticisms that he leaves the locker room mm, when yes. he leaves. Do you have a favorite Epe witticism? One of my favorites is uh, r- have your kids read. <laughs> That's <laughs> a good one. Have your kids read. That's a perfect one and re- very on brand for Epe. You know, I just liked the day where he told us to call our moms. Like that was good. Get out there, call your moms tonight. All right. I liked when he dropped some uh, some language and said. Uh, don't do that at home. <laughs> that was advice. funny. Yeah. That was good. I enjoyed that. Epe, Epe everyone agrees, is, is a great guy and one of the, the, the best people on this jazz team. Anyway, that's our show today. Thank you guys so much for listening. As always, you can listen to us as a podcast on iTunes or Stitcher. Um, just Or, of course, go to the website, saltcityhoops.com. Listen to the show on ESPN700sports.com. Check that out. We're very excited about everything we're doing there. But for now... Andy Larson and J.P. Chunga signing out. This has been the Salt City Hoop Show on ESPN 700.